Welcome to the High Speed Podcast, the official podcast of the High Speed Alliance, taking you further, faster, together. We are setting our course for freedom and legacy through mastery of business, finance, family, and lifestyle. Welcome to the High Speed Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Forrest Bryant, and I'm excited to have my guest today, Tori Aguilar, Senior Advisor with McIlvaney ICA. Tori, how are you today? I'm doing great, and I'm just humbled and appreciative for being here. Well, great. Well, uh, I sure appreciate you being here. I'm I'm real excited about this. I've been a, a big fan of precious metals for a long time, and I've been associated with your company for, um, gosh, maybe going on a decade, I guess now. And uh, right. I just I've been um, just really. Um, just pleased along the way with, with, with McIlvaney and I'm a big fan of, of Don McIlvaney and, and David McIlvaney and, and the company. I know they've been involved with uh, precious metals with uh, McIlvaney ICA for, I believe what, 40 years, somewhere along that line since, uh, since 1972, 1972. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I can do easy math on that. Uh, that's, that's 45 years, 45 <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I've been a big, big, big fan of theirs, uh, over the years and, um, and a fan of yours too, since we've been working together for a while and, uh, I'm excited about you coming in. Uh, you know, our high speed Alliance, uh, we deal a lot with, uh, doctors and dentists and CEOs, and you have a little bit of a medical background as well that you kind of bring to the table. And you've been working with your, your clients with McIlvaney ICA for, for uh, I believe a decade now with them and um, you're helping your clients diversify into, into physical precious metals and, and, and teach a diverse dynamic metals portfolio. So uh, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit, a little more detail about McIlvaney and, and about yourself. I'll do that. You know, this company was founded in 1972 back uh, when bullion was illegal to own. Don and Molly McIlvaney started the company and trying to to meet the needs. And the way they were able to do that was by minting 24 karat gold coins with biblical scenes on them. So you were allowed to buy and sell gold if it was in the collectible form Mm. or if it had religious medallion purposes. And so they pursued the latter and the former, actually, with with collectible coins, and that's where our name International Collectors Associates came from. And so they've been a family-owned business now run, you know, in a second-generation format with David McIlvaney, our current president and CEO, and Don is still the chairman and spends most of the year overseas, internationally, all through the Asian Pacific. And I am I'm totally blessed to work here, as you and I alluded to. I mean, it's it's something that our our backgrounds are pretty similar, and, and with the High Speed Alliance uh, type of, of member, it sounds like I'm, you know, purposefully a good fit, but we stumbled on that later. You know, my sports medicine and, and medical background came particularly in athletic training and physical therapy. We owned a clinic here and diversifying out, sold that clinic, and had to do something new with the non-compete, and this this industry and this, this area of the economy and and uh, following monetary policy and investments really intrigued me. And here I am, uh, non-compete clause far long ago terminated, and, and uh, I'm still loving what I'm doing and have no intentions of ever leaving. Wow, that's great. Well, 
I feel very sorry for you that you have to live in Durango, Colorado. I mean, I'm sure that's awful, isn't it? It's tough, but I'll tell you what, I've, I've never seen Huntsville, and I'm excited. It's always good to get out of Durango, too, you know? So we've got to hit the road a lot, and uh, Don and David will be actually on tour, if you will, this summer, uh, hitting five cities out west, and in the fall we'll, we'll come out to the east and to the south. Uh, but, yeah, I love getting out of town, and I really look forward to, to your conference uh, that we've got going on. It's good to get out of a small town and see the world every once in a while. Well, we're excited about you coming. We'll be glad to show off uh, Huntsville to you. Um, okay, so just uh, just a reminder: uh, this this first section is uh, is our is the public section, and it's really designed for um, doctors, dentists, CEOs that are maybe um, new to not just real estate investing, but also like what we're talking about here. You know, maybe uh, we're going to try to keep it on a high level view and talk about. Uh, Precious metals uh, for somebody that it maybe is, is is new to that and hasn't invested in it before, and then uh, then we're going to go into the members only section on the back, and then we'll go a little bit deeper and we'll talk about um, some more advanced uh, techniques on on how to ramp things up. But um, you know, I, I know you, we could talk about you know it it fascinates me, and I'm a big fan of uh, just keeping in touch with the. Uh, you know, the economy and the geopolitical news and everything that's going on. And, and I, I am personally a big uh, follower of, of David McElvaney and his weekly podcast. I listen to it. So I encourage our listeners to check that out. But, um, you know, we could, we could really uh, spend a lot of time talking about that, but would you like to kind of give us some comments on just, you know, maybe a 30,000 view of what's, what's going on in the economy and what, what y'all are kind of focusing on right now? You bet. When we're looking at things economically, I mean, we can obviously, you can take the macro or the micro viewpoint, and we try to do both uh, because it really does help, you know, with, with understanding cycles and and whether or not you're in a bull or a bear cycle. You know, you can be in a, in a cyclical bear, for example, like what the metals did from 2012 to, to 15, and that can all take place in a secular bull market which we have resumed since the first few days of 2016. So in regards to that U.S. economic picture, I mean, obviously it's not mutually exclusive from the global economic picture. And with that, you know, it goes hand in hand with global monetary policy. And I think if you're going to take that 30,000 foot view and we can either focus on fundamentals or technicals. And if we just look at the fundamentals, Dr. Bryant, it's, it's shocking to see, how the central banks have begun intervening and not just begun, but really uh, continued with full force, uh, the intervention in the markets and call it manipulation, call it intervention, you know, call it steering the markets, whatever you want to say, but juicing the markets. But with, with easy monetary policy, that to me is first and foremost, uh, the most significant economic event because with that hand in hand has come, huge global debt. And I'm not just talking about, you know, consumer debt. Uh, we're talking about government debt and central banks adding all these assets to their balance sheets, essentially assuming debt uh, and risky assets trying to prop up the market. So to me, that's number one, even though we've seen gold and silver take breathers along the way uh, since 2001, we've really been in a bull market because of the, the easy monetary policy compounded with low interest rates. So to me, those are, those are the primary issues to focus on. 
Okay. And so let's, let's just kind of talk about the, the, the history of precious metals. Just, you know, let's kind of take it, take it back and, and bring it back to, uh, to, to the future here is, you know, for somebody that's new, you know, give us a little history. All right. Well, the whole reason that our currency used to be backed by gold and silver was because of the fact that it was a restraint, right? I mean, human nature is to do what we're seeing the central banks do now, and that is to print freely and, and try to uh, just make money easily accessible to as many people as possible for the sake of tax revenue and the sake of economic stimulus, you know, GDP growth. And so when we were backed by gold and silver, that was something that really kept that money printing in check. And back then it was technically true money printing. Now it's digital creation. But gold and silver really was the, the responsible aspect of our monetary system. And now you not only have the United States with the fiat monetary system, which means it's not backed by gold, every currency in the world is now fiat. And so they've all become unleashed. And now it's just a matter of intercurrency manipulations and adjustments to try to adjust from one currency to another and, and determining the, the purchasing power and the economic trade advantage and what have you. So we've lost that responsible tether that gold provided. But back in 1933, uh, FDR made it illegal to buy and sell bullion coins and bars and gold certificates. And that was their first step in being able to devalue the U.S. dollar because a year later, they adjusted the, the ounce price on gold from $20 an ounce to 35 So you had an immediate 75% reduction in the purchasing power of the currency. And that's only accelerated since then. You know, we've lost over 90% of the purchasing power of the dollar since. And then Nixon really closed the gold window in 1972, which is really when Don and Molly realized the, the need for being able to step in to gold and silver in a portfolio. And so Don petitioned Congress with uh, Senator Jesse Helms and made it legal to own bullion again in 1974. And since then, it's it's become detached from the currency, and you've seen it move from that $35 an ounce up to where we are now at 1265 today. Uh, again, that's not because it's some crazy bubble or some investment that's strictly indicative of of the U.S. dollar losing that much in relative purchasing power. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, so let's look at the uh, just the uses of these metals. Uh, I know we, we're, and I guess we're using the term precious metals, but we're kind of we're not only talking about gold and silver, but uh, also bringing in the platinum and palladium also into this into this uh, bucket of metals. Absolutely. So uses, obviously there's many industrial uses in the white metals, platinum and palladium are heavily utilized in catalytic converters, for example. Uh, platinum is a jewelry metal, silver is a jewelry metal, silver is used heavily in electronics, great conductor, you know, and so where, where gold tends to be the more stable monetary metal, you've got a lot of uses in, in those other precious metals industrially. So they have you know, far more sensitivity to economic stagnation or acceleration, you know, and, and inflation versus deflation. And whereas gold tends to be, you know, steady eddy, if you will, uh, it looked upon as more of that money metal. So we utilize 
the, the relationship between those metals a lot because of those uses. And if we look at the economic fundamentals and, and projections, we can kind of determine what we believe is going to occur, especially in the white metal sector with platinum, palladium, and silver, and use that to our advantage in portfolios. And, and you introduced this by, by mentioning a dynamic precious metals portfolio. And that's really how you want to look at it. You want to look at all the precious metals for what they can offer you from an investment standpoint. Uh, it's not pure speculation. It's just prudent and, and, uh, and, and wise drawing off of history type of approach. Uh, if that answers your question in terms of how we can utilize, uh, precious metals, because they're all scarce. You know, that's why they're called precious. Mm. Um, and yet, we have an opportunity to really put into a to a compounding ounce strategy use in the portfolio. Uh, I like that. And um, so, and would you expect that in the future that the need for those metals, especially the uh, the white metals, is going to increase with time? I know you mentioned silver being used in electronics. We expect that to continue. Absolutely. You know, and, and the only reason that they're down now, palladium is the one exception. Palladium's had a, a solid couple of years here and, and almost come, you know, to par with platinum. And that is very, very rare. We haven't seen that since this company existed in 45 years, uh, to where platinum has been so undervalued, not only versus palladium, its sister metal, but also versus gold. You know, back in 2008, before the crisis hit, an ounce of platinum was about 2200 an ounce to gold $1,000 an ounce, you know, and now here we are platinum 25% under the gold price, uh, which is just shocking. And so because it's, it's like a potential energy where we've got this thumb on the spring of platinum and silver is doing the same thing uh, that when it takes off and when inflation gets legs, those white metals will outperform gold and more specifically, platinum will outperform palladium, and we'll see it jump back up into that three or four times the price of palladium range. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that, and um, you know that might be a good segue. Just mentioning the you know how platinum is undervalued, and you know we recently had a had a discussion about that, and that's one reason we picked up some platinum in our portfolio. But um, um, you know, let's let's talk about. Um, undervalued markets versus overvalued markets. And, you know, that's one thing as, as contrarian investors that we're constantly, constantly looking at to see where, you know, to follow the, the age old investment advice to buy low and sell high, you know, how would you rate the, the, the stock market? And I know real estate's not your specialty, but, you know, just, uh, and I can, I can chime in a little bit on that one versus uh, precious metals market right now. That's a great question because, you know, that's, it's sad, but truth that, that you are considered a contrarian investor anymore if you're buying low and selling high, you know, that's, we're not, it, it, that's not, it means that's not we're not the main street the way to do it. Yeah. The main street <laughs> likes to buy high and sell low, right? Isn't that the way you do it? That's where you get, that's, that's where you get broke. Psychology. <laughs> that's right. Follow yep, the masses, that's the psychology right? of investing. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you what, when you're, when you're trying to help, manage portfolios or steer people to the to the right investment you really do work against that 
that normal psychology of look, you know, everybody else is doing this. Why are you telling me to do this? You know, you're telling me to do the opposite. And so it can get a little frustrating, but it really comes down to just education and patience and, and eventually they grasp, you know, the bigger picture. And, and I know you deal a lot with that in, in real estate. And I know that there were some paradigms that were shattered, you know, back in 2007 and eight with the market top and, and crash in housing and, and, uh, you know, not only housing, but in the stock market. And it took years for the stock market to sort of rebuild some trust and confidence. And now you've got that same sort of herd mentality, bubble mentality, uh, fleeing into the stock market. And for us, we look at that as an overvalued asset. And there's, there's a few ways that you can approach that. You can look at the Dow to gold ratio, for example, where if you just simply take the, the value of the Dow and let's just say it's, you know, 21,000 and you divide it by 1,265, which is the spot price of gold, you're at a 16 to one ratio. Okay. Well, we've seen that come historically down repeatedly below four to one, three to one, two to one, even one to one, where an ounce of gold was equal to a share price in the Dow. Mm. And so that's one way to, to show how overvalued. Now, back in 2000, and eight before the the crash, you actually saw that peak out all the way over at forty to one. And so we were screaming from the rooftops. And Don wrote in his newsletter, "Get out of the market." But we see the same thing now for different reasons, and a lot of it has to do with who the buyers are. You know, if it weren't for the Bank of Japan and the European Central Bank putting in between two hundred and two hundred fifty billion a year into the global stock markets, particularly ours, uh, you wouldn't see these numbers, right? It's long overdue for, for a healthy correction. This isn't doomsaying. This is just something that, look, why go into a market that's at an all-time high and relative to other asset classes, you know, exaggerated in its value when you can go into the more undervalued asset class? And that doesn't have to be gold. And depending on the housing market, as you know, there's some that haven't recovered nearly as much as others. One city may be telling you that it's topping out again. And another city may say, look, this is a great value. We haven't even come close to recovering from the crash. And, and because everything happens in different times. So that being said, the best values in the precious metals markets are in silver and platinum. And, you know, as long as you have patience. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I, I believe that we're, we're looking at a top in the stock market. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I agree with the, uh, little overvaluation on the stock market, real estate market uh, is getting overvalued in some areas, especially some of the volatile markets, California, Florida, Nevada, Arizona, some of those markets are getting hot. Um, there's still a lot of good values out there though. So, uh, and I think a lot of the people I've talked to think we still got a little, little further to run before we, uh, before the wheels come off, but we're definitely getting uh, towards the top of the cycle. Uh, no doubt. And, uh, I totally agree with you. I think the metals are very undervalued right now for where they can go. Um, so let's kind of, uh, well, before we go there, let me ask you one other question. Um, talk about just before, before, while we're still on the global view here, before we dive down and get a little, a little more focused, um, uh, there, there's a, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the, the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules the United States has been a net seller of gold for a long time. And a lot of these emerging countries um, 
are net buyers of gold. And that's, that's been happening for a while. Um, can you comment on that and just, you know, where, where, where those trends are going? Absolutely. And, and all you have to do is look at the COMEX, you know, and, and look at, look at the ETFs, for example, and you can follow here recently, you know, between 800 and a thousand tons of gold have, have left the, the U.S. ETF market gone through, uh, London on its way to Shanghai and Hong Kong, you know, and, and what happens when that gold never comes back, right? I mean, that's, that, that's going somewhere where they get it. They understand the big picture. There's a lot of talk about China backing their currency with gold. That would really rock the currency markets. It would put them front and center on, you know, on the, on the currency stage. The petrodollar is already under a lot of stress, a lot more competition than we've seen in decades. And, you know, and, and some of that too. I mean, we're, we're losing relationship in the Middle East just for the fact that we become a net exporter to the tune of a million barrels a day, uh, you know, in, in terms of oil. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of physical metal leave the United States, leave Wall Street and end up in the coffers of, of these, of these Asian banks and, and China in particular, Russia, big net buyer, Turkey, big net buyer. And so, yeah, like you were saying, he who, he who has the most gold wins, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it'll be a very, very interesting world stage over the next few decades in regards to what happens with, with the metals that are leaving here. And I'm not trying to put, a, you know, a fear in the, in the ETF market, but, you know, back two years ago, uh, there was a manipulation of the gold price and there was rampant, uh, delivery uh, options in terms of the uh, coming off of the comics where futures contracts were being, were coming to maturity and they were, they were requesting delivery and the comics had, you know, literally hundreds of tons of gold that were expected to be delivered. And so what ended up happening is, is you saw a, a very effective coordinated attack on the, on the spot price of gold in order to dissuade and sort of create a distaste for gold. Uh, in that spring and and it was pretty effective because you know selling to get selling especially with the computer generated world that we have with with trading and so i think that you know it's something that they know is of great concern and when everybody that owns paper contracts or paper gold thinks that they can get delivery of gold they're going to have a couple realizations and one is if you don't have it already you're never going to get it you know and 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 two if you don't have it in hand you're going to have a hard time getting access to it. So that's going to be two realizations that concern me greatly with, with the amount of gold that we see leaving the West. Well, and, and knowing that would be a good time to plug that every American out there who's listening, it's your American duty to keep some of that precious metals here in the country. So uh, let's, while, while we're on that, let's, uh, let's kind of go, go a little bit uh less macro and, and dive down into, you know, a lot of our listeners are doctors, dentists, small business CEOs. Um, why do you think it would be important for them to uh, have, have precious metals in their portfolio? What, what, what advantages is that going to bring? It's all about two things, really uh, diversification, right? Which is self-explanatory and then also hedge. Hmm. And when we talk about what, the precious metals do for you. I mean, a hedge 
in regards to diversifying you out of paper altogether. So a hedge obviously can be something that, that balances your risk and exposure. And so if you're 100% in paper, okay, back in the 50s, for example, it was the norm to put 30 to 35% of your liquid assets or your portfolio into stocks. And now we've been brainwashed into thinking that it's, you know, it's okay to do 90 to 100% of your investable uh, assets into stocks in a variety of uh, risky uh, ventures, I guess, if you will. They, they try to tell you that your, your risk is diversified by the type of stock that you're owning. And so with the inception of the ETF and mutual funds, it lends the impression that there's less risk and so you can put more money into it. Well, really, you have got to be in something that can't go to zero and you can hold in your hand, much like you used to be able to take delivery of the stock certificate, which nobody does anymore. And you have that opportunity to, to be out of paper altogether. And, and that really is important because it's guaranteed income down the road. Right, you're not dependent upon how well a company is run, or or the shares of that company, you know, sinking and mass selling and and things that expose it. When you hold that metal in your hand, you realize that this is something that's truly of value, and it's something that nobody can can tell me isn't worth that amount, and it's something that I will always get, you know, certain numbers of dollars for, uh, depending upon what what our U.S. dollars doing. So that's really it. You know, diversification is it's a true form of diversification, but most importantly, it's a hedge against currency weakness. It's a hedge against geopolitical strains. It's a hedge against political tensions. It's a hedge against just uncertainty. Uh, it's a hedge against, you know, the, the stock market crash a lot of times when you have sharp pullbacks. There's, there's massive flight into the U.S. dollar and massive flight into the physical metals. Even if the spot price isn't moving, people are buying physical metals like crazy, and you don't want to be paying high premiums in that environment. Excellent. You know, one thing you said there, just as far as looking at the at the longevity, looking back at the example you used earlier about uh, the price of gold in 1933, $20, or thir- went to $20 to $35, and you look at it today, it's $1,265. If you compare that to... If you had invested that, you know, there's probably, I'm sure there are a few, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there, you know, how many stocks out there, um, you know, there might be one or two that are even still in business now that were in business in 1933, but you know, the vast majority of those have just vanished into oblivion. Um, yeah. Well, what is it? GE is the only remaining company on the original Dow, right? It's, it's the last remaining company on the Dow, so they can try to value the Dow comparably to what it used to be, but none of the companies are even the same. That's right, uh, and I, I would dare say, I, if somebody knows it's listening, uh, shoot me the name of a stock that was uh, uh, a company that was that was in business in 1933 and that is still kicking it today. I'd like to know who it is. Okay, so um, so define a diverse and dynamic precious metals portfolio. What what does that mean? Well, the metals diversify your portfolio, but once you're into that niche, it's no different than you would approach stocks. Just because you're taking, you know, a portion of your portfolio and investing in stocks doesn't mean you don't diversify 
in in the stocks that you're buying as well. And and we really push that with the physical precious metals. We have the four metals types, you know, that we discussed earlier in the program. And within each of those, you you actually have two categories. Also, you have the bullion category, which is not only bars and ingots; it's it's also coins. So anything that's newly minted is considered a bullion product, even if it's a a, a trinket of sorts or a short-lived uh, mint product that that they're trying to get out there for its unique nature. That's still considered bullion. Anything that's more newly minted and certainly your 24 karat products. The other category is the numismatic category. Okay. And that actually branches a little bit too, where you have semi numismatic and you have numismatic where just like priceless art and, and gems, there's a, there's a big market out there for real rare coins in terms of asset preservation or, or collectible cars. So, so the coin world plays in that market sector as well, where you, that, that will always have some value and in some markets can actually appreciate significantly. But the semi-numismatic is, is the other area that we diversify people into. And there's a couple of reasons that's important. As I said earlier, it was gold bullion that was made illegal to own by in 1933. Now that's only happened once in the United States and it lasted for, for 41 years. But it's happened over 40 times around the world, and it's always been bullion. And so with that historical precedence, a lot of clients like to diversify into some of the semi-numismatics strictly because they've never been made illegal to own. And, I, you know, you would hate to, to do the right thing and buy gold bullion only to have the government turn around and, and shut down those markets again. So the benefit of the bullion is much lower premiums, more closely tied to spot. The benefit of those semi-numismatics is that, again, historically have been void from confiscation. Uh, and also you can have some potential premium plays that you don't get in the bullion market. And we can see that in gold and silver. And then diversifying within the different metals, we can do a lot of ratio trading and premium swapping where we're, we're picking up ounces for free. So long-winded answer to your question, Dr. Mm-hmm. Bryant, uh, mm-hmm. diversification is, is all of the above. Four different metal types and two different categories when they each. Excellent. So, and we might get into a little bit of that on the back on the members only section. That's a little a little bit in the weeds for the for this first section. And and also, um, let's. And I don't want to get too deep, so let's try to not go too deep. But just in general, I just would like uh, listeners to understand. And you mentioned Dow Gold earlier, but um, just uh, on on a high level. Um, uh, we've kind of defined that one a little bit, but also gold, silver, and, uh, and you mentioned uh, without going into detail, um, you know, some of those principles about, you know, how to increase ounces. Can you do that without going too deep just to kind of pique everybody's interest a little bit? You bet. So if we're looking at the gold silver ratio, for example, they have long-term historic price averages between the two of them, even going back to biblical times, it was 16 to one gold was 16 times more per ounce than, than silver, you know, and that, that set, uh, the, the long-term precedence. But since then it's, it's actually been reestablished at a higher figure, especially after the federal reserve inception. So, you know, we watch those ratios closely. We've been doing that for over 35 years and you have the opportunity as that pendulum swings from gold being overvalued to gold being undervalued or vice versa, silver being overvalued versus, you know, the undervalued aspect of it. 
you can trade between the two and pick up ounces for free. So we look at that on those ratios and we also look at it in premiums. So if you've got a house in a, in a hot market and you've got an offer on that house that is above market value and you've been looking to sell anyway, that's a perfect time for you to sell that house at above market value and turn around and take those proceeds and invest into another house in a different market or in a, a steal of a deal within that same market and you pick up more house for the dollar. Okay, and that's the same thing with the metals. You're just always looking for the next most undervalued class once you use the purchasing power of the performance of one to increase, you know, the, the product that you get in the other. So I hope that makes sense. Does yeah. that lead to more questions? Or? Yeah, okay. well, and that's a perfect example. And, uh, you know, for, for my real estate listeners, I mean, perfect example of housing prices in 2010. Uh, you, could, you could pick them up for, you could steal them, and then we're, we're at the top of a seller's market right now. So, you know, if anybody was buying houses in 2010 and they're looking at their prices now in 2017, it's it's time to take profits and take some money off the table, take some chips off the table. So it's uh, we're it's kind of this, it's almost the same exact thing, just get moving from uh, you know from one currency to another, from from a house to cash or from gold to silver. You just have to understand the way those things are tied together. So um, let's see, let's um, let, well, let's talk about uh, different ways to take. Or, or to purchase. I mean, obviously, um, I think there's a lot of commercials on TV that talk about, you know, your gold IRA. Uh, obviously, these can be purchased in an IRA account, or they can, you can, they can be purchased on a cash basis. Um, so, you know, let's let's talk about that for a minute. Um, let's talk about um, purchasing metals in uh, in an IRA account versus taking taking possession. Yeah, you know, when you're looking at your total portfolio, and we talk about percentages of the portfolio, we don't separate out based on what's in a retirement account versus what's not. For some people, their only investable, you know, monies are in the form of a qualified plan. And so, the, you know, since the IRS allowed for precious metals to be held in an IRA in 1986, we were the first company to offer that up and we immediately began providing that service. And we've we've done well ever since with the benefit being very, very easy to swap metals because it's in storage. There's no shipping back and forth. Uh, the benefit, you, you don't have to take delivery. Some people are uncomfortable taking delivery. But those retirement accounts, you can move a part or an entire IRA over. It can be a traditional, a Roth, a SEP, a simple, doesn't matter. It, it can move into a, a physical precious metals IRA. And then that metal obviously has to be stored. Unfortunately, there's a loophole that's being exploited here recently by some companies where they're telling you that you can go form an LLC and then you can be a, a, your own trustee and, and custodian your own metals out of your retirement account and take delivery. So I would, I would encourage your, your listeners not to fall prey to that trap and just let it work for you the way the law intends and and avoid those those tax consequences down the road for those early distribution penalties. But, you know, it's it's simple. And if you ever do want to take a distribution, you can take it in the form of the metal. You can do an in-kind distribution. We do hundreds of those a year, you know, due to either required minimum distributions or 
somebody just feeling more comfortable taking possession of a part of it. So it's a it's a, a very very convenient beneficial way of owning physical metals uh, in the form of an IRA. I like that. I hadn't uh, I hadn't really thought about how to how to how to get those out. I didn't didn't know if we would sell it and then take cash or actually take the metals out. That, that, that's uh, that's that's interesting thought for for later on. I like that. Um, so, uh, you know, what's the biggest mistake that, uh, that you've made in investing or that you've seen in precious metals investing? Well, I, I can commiserate maybe with some of your investors, maybe they've been far more astute than I was with getting into the real estate. world. <laughs> the biggest mistake I made in investing was, was in buying a, a property in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And that wasn't the mistake. The mistake was not selling it when I should have. And I had an opportunity to, and I avoided selling it because I hadn't owned it for two years. And I was worried about the increased tax liability with that. And, and I'm telling you, it came down to just a couple months later and I had missed the boat. The market crashed and I was stuck holding it for another decade. So <laughs> I'd say that's my biggest mistake. Best thing I've ever done investing wise is the is the precious metals and I learned so much more about it uh, you know the details of it after starting at McElvaney's ICA and and so we had in 2008 took family trust assets because of our concern with the stock market crash looming and we purchased some what's called MS 63 $20 liberties and those gold coins or one ounce coins, the old American graded coins. And when the stock market crashed, gold initially came off 28%. So there's a small window there where everybody just flees into the dollar. And that U.S. dollar rally actually had a negative impact on gold for a couple of few weeks. Well, the physical buying was so intense that the premiums on those MS-63 $20 liberties went up 42%. And so we were able to sell those and step into gold bullion at that point. So that was a 64% swing. And then we rode the price of bullion from 700 to 1900 uh, after that. So that was probably the best investment that I made uh, in a, in a obviously volatile market at that time. Wow. That's, that's great. Um, so uh, let's, just, I know you're a big fan of networking and I know, uh, I know David and Don are going on the road and I'm, um, we talked about, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'd like to go, uh, hear them, hear them speak. So I'll probably be, uh, trying to find out when they're on the East coast, uh, to go see them. I encourage any of our listeners who want to go with me, uh, to, to let me know. Um, but do you think, um, you know, if somebody listens to this podcast and they heard us talk a little bit about this, are they, are they ready to go out and, you know, start buying and selling gold and silver? No, you know, you talk about one of the biggest mistakes I've made investing. And, and unfortunately in my industry, I've seen so many mistakes made in investing in gold and silver. And the reason being is either a, they've gone it alone thinking that they, they had all the information necessary or B, they went with a, a less than reputable company with a short tenure of existence and they, they got taken advantage of and got put into something that they may never recover their, their, their principal on. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be very, very careful and do your, your legwork. You have to plug yourself into, you know, exactly what you're doing. This, your high speed alliance is 
is the perfect opportunity for people to get with like-minded individuals and seek counsel, right? We're, we need to seek counsel and we need to seek advice and we need to go with people that have, have obviously had good success and, and a trustworthy experience. And I cannot tell you, there's, this is an unregulated industry. And unfortunately, uh, there's just a lot of shady, shadiness in the precious metals world. So be careful there. And you don't have to go it alone. You know, you can buy things online uh, for cheaper. But, you know, we're a managerial advisory type of approach to the physical precious metals. And just like with, with seeking advice and counsel in any market sector, you, that's, that's what we're here to offer you. Uh, rather than you trying to go it alone and learn in the hard way. So uh, good work on, on your part with trying to get people coordinated and, and informed that way. And we need everybody plugged into that. And you can go far more macro and, and go listen to other people on your own as well and seek a bunch of opinions. But at least you're, you know, you're going to seek more rather than fewer and, and avoid some of the pitfalls and the traps. Yeah, I totally agree, and and that's that's why we're doing what we're doing is is to help people uh, get to their goals. Uh, we are, that's our tagline: further and faster. But you got to do it together. We want to get uh, help people get further than they think they can get there, and we want to get there faster. Speed speed's important, uh, but you can only do that if you know the right people. And um, I can I consider you and and McElvaney to be the right people of the right advice and have been doing this for a long time. So um, I appreciate, appreciate you. Um, So do do you have a favorite quote or favorite book or resource um, that you'd like to share? Uh, Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I, there's a little known book probably called Lydia Bailey and I love it because it, I mean, it's just an intriguing story, very well written, but this is, you know, it's almost a hundred year old book, but it opens with, with the word consistency, right? As if it's a negative. And, and I think in some instances, we all can see that it is a negative. When you're approaching your portfolio, your investment mindset isn't the same today as it was 10 years ago. We talked about the paradigm shift and all that. Well, this quote um, is, is pretty good. And I'm just, I'm going to read this here. Um, just, just to kind of give your listeners a sense. Of those who come after me, uh, there's been much hell and ruin inevitably brought on innocent people in innocent countries by men who make a virtue of consistency. And he goes on to describe how the consistency, the, the, the consistent belief structure that we will fall on the sword over oftentimes ends up playing out to be the wrong viewpoint, right? And so I would... I would say take that and and be open, right? Don't be short-sighted. Don't don't die on the hill of your consistency. Be willing to change. You know that doesn't mean you're 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 changing political parties or you're you're changing your investment advisor or anything uh, of that nature. It's just be open to it, you know, and don't make a virtue of consistency because if you do that, you're going to miss a lot of opportunity. And you're going to make a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of hills that you'll die on over and over again. So I hope that helps. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Um, uh, one more question. What's your definition of freedom? Definition of freedom is, is for me to be able to go throughout my day uh, doing what I please. It's not harmful to others. 
and hopefully not harmful to myself, uh, but to be able to walk through life in, in a way where I don't feel as if I've got somebody looking over my shoulder, uh, restricting me or questioning me along the way. Tori, I, I wanted to, I didn't want to get off the podcast today without mentioning, I wanted this to go in the, in the show notes, but uh, David's book, David McElvaney's book, Intentional Legacy, was just incredible. And so I wanted to make sure that we got that in the, into the show notes for today. Um, but please tell David that I loved his book. And that's one thing. High Speed Alliance is really about two things. It's about freedom and it's about legacy. So that meant a lot to me. And so for listeners, if you're out there, if you haven't uh, read David's book yet, please get a copy of it and, uh, and read it. You'll love it. I strongly recommend it, and he would he would be at, at your conference in person if it weren't for the fact that he and his dad are traveling together, and and not just to get out the word on legacy, but to to be a living example to that. And and he oftentimes brings his own children on the road as Don did with him. But it's more than that. It's it's not just about your portfolio legacy; it's family legacy. And so, mm. call me, and I can I can uh, help you with getting a copy. If our uh, listeners want to get in touch with you, how do, how do they do that? You know, Dr. Brian, I'm pretty old school. I mean, I've, you know, we've got a website and all that. To get in touch with me, though, I just, I'm happy to give my direct number to my desk. You don't have to go through the receptionist or, or any of that. And I would just encourage a call. I'm not going to talk your ear off. But if you want a, a packet of information, if you want access to, you know, we do two podcasts a week, one that's about, eight to 10 minutes long, specific to the metals. I'd love to get you uh, signed up for that for free. And then same thing with our McElvaney weekly commentary, which is a more macroeconomic view. Uh, but just call me, honestly, it's 866-211-8972. And that's toll free and ring right to my desk. You've been listening to the High Speed Podcast. To read our blog and to learn more, visit our website at www.highspeedpodcast.com.